0: Bedtime routines are, are important in the house, right? It, that is if you want to have sort of controlled chaos, right? Um, but always at bedtime when it's going to the bathroom, doing everything that you need to do. In our house growing up through the years, there was always a request for that something whether it be that stuffed animal or that blankie or something like that that you can have that soothes you as you get ready to go to bed. Um, and, And that object becomes something very important for the kids, even if... Um, something bad happens, right? If we fall and skin our knee or if we get scared or something like that, oftentimes through tear-filled eyes, the kids would say something like, I just want my blankie right now, right? You just want that something uh, to comfort you. And the reality is, is as adults, um, a lot doesn't really change. That, that when suffering or trials or trouble or heartache enter into our world, our first response is is that we want comfort. We want something to soothe us. And as adults, we reach for a number of things. Maybe we call a friend. uh, Maybe we read that Bible verse. This is also um, where addictions tend to enter into our lives, that maybe we reach for the bottle or something like that. You see, in moments of trial and suffering, we want comfort. We want something to make us feel better. Well, in in Psalm chapter 4, which is very closely related to Psalm 3, sort of the gist of this psalm is is very simply this. Psalm 4 teaches us to trust God in troubled times. That's what Psalm 4 is. Psalm 4 teaches us how we can go to God and trust God in those troubled times, in times of our life that, listen, we didn't plan for, and we didn't expect and and the longer that I live um, you would think that really the only thing that I expect now is is the unexpected is anybody else the same right I mean some of us even bought a 2020 calendar Ha <laughs> ha, right I mean it's like there's so much unknown there's so many things that right when you think you've got things figured out with the kids or life or the job or something like that something unexpected comes and um, I love what, what G.K. Chesterton said. G.K. Chesterton was a Bible theologian. Look at this guy. I mean, this guy is a character, but he was a scholar and a theologian. And I shared the quote this week on social media, but G.K. said these words. Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble, Right? And, and that literally, the longer that I live, the more and more that quote tends to be true. I would love to say that I'm always fearless and that I always feel happy. But the reality is, is that Jesus promised us that there would be troubled times. But he also promised that he would be with us in those troubled times. And, and listen, uh, the, the longer that I'm a pastor, by the way, uh, I just want to brag on you for a minute. Can I brag on you guys for a minute? Some of y'all are like, yeah, absolutely. You're going to brag on me, right? Um, this week, I have seen our church step up in ways that are just unimaginable. Um, I've seen people meet other people's needs. I've seen people make a phone call and say, hey, I need this. I've seen people um, who saw a problem and a need and step up and take care of it and there was no board meeting, there was no motion on the floor, there was no six that's or the other or this that. People, as the body of Christ, you this week, and some of you are just even unaware of it, which is even cooler, you have stepped up and served the greater body in just a phenomenal way. So can, we just, can you just give yourself like a, you know, a hand clap or something? And some of you are like, well, I didn't do anything. Well, yeah, no, I'm sure, right? And that's incredible. But listen, I'm, I'm so proud to, to be your pastor and, and to see you stepping up. But the longer that I'm a pastor, the more and more I see um, suffering and trials and heartache enter into people's lives. And, and really in reality, When suffering or trials or trouble enter in, what it does is is it brings those things in the depths of our heart to the surface. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, um, people rise to the occasion. I don't necessarily believe that's true. I believe what the occasion does is it reveals what is inside someone's heart and inside their mind. And in Psalm chapter 4, we see that in David's life. We get to see what is revealed in his heart and in his mind. And just to put Psalm chapter 4 sort of in context for us, um, it's known as an evening psalm, as we said. We don't know uh, necessarily the exact trouble that David is experiencing. A lot of scholars think that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 could actually go together. That that Psalm 4, David is still dealing with his son Absalom's Rebellion. We learned about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, to put it in layman's terms, David has a massive family conflict that's going on. David is even on the run. He's king of Israel, but he's on the run right now. There's turmoil going on in his life. And we know that through the years that this psalm has been prayed by God's people right before bed. That even in some church traditions, that this is what you pray out loud with the Lord's prayer right before bed. We also see this line at the beginning of the psalm. Do you see that there in your Bible? It's a little header. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Um, we get these little sort of insights into the song. And the reason why I pause here is because this is the first time that we see this idea about a choir master um, in the book of Psalms. So, So what we know from history is, is this would have been written. David is writing this song for the people of Israel corporately together as God's people. And, and, and he's writing it to a cadence for sort of the, the worship pastor, if you will, for the worship that's taking place there in the temple. Now, pause. I'm, I love God's Word because we can glean insights from it all the time. David is experiencing trouble and trials that were unexpected in his life. And he writes a prayer and a song for it to be sung Corporately, as God's people. Do you know what that tells me? Listen, we can, I mean, we're already in the sermon and there's application for you right here. Do you know why the corporate gathering is so important? It's not just that we're commanded in scripture to do what you're doing today, to gather together as God's people, but there's actually a benefit, there's a supernatural benefit to that. Listen, Here's what I'm trying to say. Corporate worship is where we go to strengthen our confidence in God. That no matter what's been happening throughout the week, no matter what's happening with your family or at your work, this is the place that we come to rally together as God's people and to strengthen our confidence. That's why we have so much scripture that's read. I mean, we've already read like five Bible passages in the service. And as you're standing there as a child of God, you are hearing the promises of God read over you. This is where we come to find out what is true as we live in a world of lies. This is where we come. So please listen to me. Oftentimes when we experience trials or we're going through a season in our life, one of our first responses and reactions is to bail. It's to just be alone. I mean, you know, Sunday, I got to get the kids ready and I got to come. I just don't feel like it. And I understand not feeling like it. But here is where we come to strengthen our confidence. And one of the ways that we do that is by seeing other people worship. Here's what I mean by this Um, in Colossians, remember that book? Remember that? We should do a whole series to that book sometime, right? In the book of Colossians, it commands us to sing songs to one another. Have you ever wondered that? Like, like why is that important? One of the things that we have as a philosophy for the worship ministry is, um, I don't ever want the music to be louder than your voices. Because I believe that there's a scriptural command to hear other people singing. Why is that important? Let me tell you this story. Um, When I first got here, probably a little bit less than a year um, after being uh, voted in as being pastor here at Westside, I'd never been a lead pastor before and was excited about everything that was going on, Um, and I got to be... Miss Margaret Cross's pastor. And if you know anything about the history of Westside, Westside started in the basement of Margaret and Ted Cross's home over 50-plus years ago. And Miss Margaret is just, I mean, a matriarch of the church. And and shortly after I had got here, Miss Margaret got re-diagnosed with cancer again. And she was well sort of into her 80s and had gotten re-diagnosed, and it was just like... Oh man, it was such a bummer. And it was my first time being pastor and I'd never really walked with somebody through cancer before. And so I would be you know, visiting Miss Margaret and we would be praying together and everything and I'll never forget, I was sitting right here. I used to sit on this side because before I would come up to preach, I would hit record on the voice recorder memo on my phone and set it next to a speaker so we could have a podcast. That's how high tech everything really was, right? And I'll never forget we were singing it is well and i'll never forget hearing miss margaret sing a little bit she used to sit right over here on this side sing the song it is well with my soul and i turned around and looked back and i saw her have her hand raised do you know what that did for my faith that I had spent time with Miss Margaret that week, that, that the re-diagnosis was there, that she's looking at cancer in the face. She's got all of this going on, and I look and I see her have her hand raised singing the words, It is well. Listen, Miss Margaret's faith strengthened my faith that's why the corporate gathering is so important. So I don't know who needs to hear that today. I don't know what season of life that you're in. Some of you are in a season of life where you're like, man, listen, I don't even know if I have the faith to continue. Here's what I'm saying. Borrow somebody else's faith right now. Live off of their faith in this season. That's why the corporate gathering is so important. And we see that David says, I'm going through trials. I'm going through trouble. But listen, this prayer, this song, it's for the corporate gathering. And this is where we go to strengthen our confidence in God. That's Psalm 4 in context. And then we see that it is written by David. And we've already given the background of that as to what's going on and what's taking place in his life. So listen, for just a few quick moments, I want this question to be our guiding question. How can I trust God in troubled times? How can I trust God with what's going on in my life, with a family conflict, with a doctor's report, just with my children, with my marriage, whatever is going on, how can I do that? I think we're going to see three sort of quick things in Psalm chapter 4. The first thing that I see is this. Ask for help. Ask for help, right? Look at how Psalm 1 starts. Look at the passion in David's voice. He says, Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Twice, David says, answer me whenever I call. That whenever the trial and the trouble enters into David's life, the first thing that he does, the first thing, I'm trying to make a point here, the first thing that David does is that he goes to God for help. That's his first reaction. And, and you know, I don't know if, if, if you're anything like me. I know you're way more spiritual than I am, okay? But oftentimes in my life, When something happens or there's something in front of me, I try to maybe like see how far I can get maybe on my own. Like, like I sort of switch into do mode and it's like, all right, let's get this done. Let's plan this out. Let's see what we need to do. And then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Let's talk to God about this, right? And then you sort of just sprinkle the prayer blessing on it. And so you make all these plans and you get all of this. And then you're just sort of like, and then God just sort of maybe be with me in this. But what David does is, is that he goes to God for help first. Um, maybe this will help. Uh, Kyle Eidemann is a pastor who wrote the book, Not a Fan. It's a fantastic book. I would highly recommend how you can sort of take your walk with Jesus to the next level of not being just a fan, but being a follower. He's not just a pastor, but he's a husband and he's a father. And and in the book, he tells about this season of his life. Um, He accepted a pastorate in California of a very large church and there were big budgets and the church was growing and He was working all of these hours and he felt like he was under an immense amount of stress and responsibility. And one night, um, he had been having trouble sleeping for a period of time, even went and got some medication and was still having trouble sleeping. And, and, And one night he woke up, was just sweating, maybe having an anxiety attack, and he said that he had the weirdest sensation that God was laughing at him okay and he, he i mean he was troubled he was like troubled by it and and he was troubled by it for quite some time for a season in his life well well god moved them from that church and they were going to another church and he records this season in his life as to when he got clarity about this idea of feeling like like God was laughing at him. Now, not mocking him or anything like that, but almost like how a father laughs you know, at a child. And he says these words. We were getting ready to move, and when we moved into our current house, I saved the heaviest piece of furniture for last. The desk in my office, it was big and it was heavy. As I was pushing and pulling the desk with all my might, my four-year-old son came over and asked if he could help. So together, we start sliding the desk across the floor. He was pushing and grunting as we inched our way along. After a few minutes, my son stopped pushing and he looked up at me and he said, Dad, you're in my way. Get out of my way. And then he tried to push the desk all by himself. And of course, the desk didn't budge an inch. And I realized that he actually thought when I was helping him that he was moving the desk instead of me. And I couldn't help but in that moment, laugh. And as soon as I started laughing, the Lord stopped me in my tracks. And I recalled all those months ago in the middle of the night, feeling like God was laughing at me. And I realized everything that was going on in my life, I was trying to do myself. And I thought that it actually depended on me. You see, I was laughing at my son the same way that God was laughing at me. Have you ever experienced a moment like that? I know I have. And and what is it? What is it about us thinking that that we're capable, almost that we know best? That, you know, right now in my marriage or right now with my parenting, you know, maybe later on, counseling or something like this, or maybe we'll talk to somebody, but just right now, I think if they would just, then I could. um, Here's a question. When's the last time that you've asked for help? When's the last time that you have asked for help? For some of us, we're able to answer that. And for some of us, it's a little bit more difficult. Some of us have been attending church and involved in community, and we have never once been vulnerable with the people that we're living life with. Listen, prayer and asking for help is not a last resort. It should be our first reaction as believers. So, so how can you trust God in this situation? How can you trust God with the trouble that's going on? Ask for help. Ask for His help. And then look at what He does. Oh, God of my righteousness. That language is covenantal language. What David is saying is, you're the God who's forgiven my sins. You're the God who's done all the heavy lifting. You have given me relief when I was in distress. It's in past tense. What's David doing? Listen, in a moment of trial and trouble in his present life David recalls the past faithfulness of God. Listen, I love doing this from time to time and maybe we should do it every Sunday. Talk about strengthen our confidence in God. Um, In just... I want you to raise your hand if you or somebody that you know have seen with your own two eyes a direct answer to prayer. If you or somebody that you know, raise your hand. Just raise it up high. Come on, raise it up high. Now look around. Listen to me. The kingdom of God is alive and well. That God is doing things. And so for some of us right now, all we can see is the trouble and the trial and the situation. But please listen, here's the sentence. God's past faithfulness, past faithfulness gives us confidence for the present. In the here and now. So some of you have a situation, whether it's a procedure or a family conflict and you're anxious and you have trouble. Listen, what I want you to realize is God has gotten you through in the past. So God will also get you through in the present. In the here and now. How can you trust God in this? Ask for help. Cry out. Ask Him. Ask His people. This is a corporate psalm. The second thing is this. Accept truth. Accept truth. Ask for help and then accept truth. Look at what David does here. In these next verses, verses 2 through 6, David is going to speak to sort of three categories of people. Three people that are dealing with three different situations. And what he's going to do is he's going to lay down the situation And then the rest of the verse, he's going to give us a bit of truth and not advice, but good news that we can accept. So the first group of people is this to those who are being slandered. To those who are being slandered. Have you ever been slandered before? Like, I'm not talking about, like, just gossiped about. I'm talking about, like, I mean, false accusations that will ruin your job, your reputation, like slandering. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I don't really know about being slandered or anything like that. It's a joke. Calm down. Okay, right? Okay. But, like, I mean, I mean, it hurts. It's a deep situation. So what are we supposed to do? Well, look at what David says in verse 2. Oh, men. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Remember, we learned that that term selah is like a musical term for us to pause and to reflect. How long, David says, how long will you keep speaking lies and vain words about me? And then what does he say? But, but no remember what we learned a few weeks ago that anxiety and fear live and breathe off of what if what if what if well what if they talk to this person well what if they say this well what if the doctor says this well what if this happens well what if this happens what if and we said i know always beats what if David accepts truth. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Here it is. The Lord hears me when I call to him. What what do you do if you're dealing with somebody slandering you? Here's the sentence. You resist what others are saying about you by resting in what God has said about you. That's the key. You fight, listen, you resist what others are saying about you. Now, I have to pause here, okay, because it's always funny like, you know, as as I'm writing the message and praying through it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is clear. And then somebody, you know, inevitably out in the lobby will be like, I loved what you said because to me that means blank. And I'm like, oh, God, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. That's not right. So when I say you resist what others are saying about you, oftentimes, you know, maybe you're going through a situation and you're like, yeah, they've lied and said I was a thief. You know, I'm, I'm not a thief. Or just, I'm going to rest in what God says about me. But you actually stole something, okay? No, no, no. You're a thief, okay, right? So listen, you can't turn this into some positive, like, yay. No, th- no, no, no. You need to accept truth. One of the things that Billy Graham would do after every crusade is he would read the newspaper every morning from that previous night. And the newspapers were brutal to Billy about the call and responses in his ministry. But he would read and pray over the newspaper and ask God this. He would look at his critics and he would say, God, turn my critics into coaches. Is there anything that they're saying about me that's true that I need to change in my life? And, and, and he would humbly look at that. But then he would resist it by knowing and resting in what God has said about him. And please listen to me, no matter what goes on in this world, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God has the final word and final say over your life. You can resist what others are saying by resting in what God has said. So to those who are being slandered, the second group is this to those who are angry, to those who are angry. Look at verse 4, very famous verse. Be angry and do not sin. Okay, right? Okay, I'd like a big bag of cash too, buddy. I mean, like, how am I going to do that? Well, read the rest of the verse. Ponder in your own feelings on your beds. Here it is. And be silent. Selah. Be angry. Listen, that's an exhortation. The Bible is, listen, for some of us, see, we're on either end of the spectrum. For some of us, we need to be angry and not sin, and we're going to learn how to do that in in, in just a second. But some of us, we actually need to be angry. We need to be fired up about some things. We need to be fired up about an assault on truth and an assault on God's character or those type of things. You you see, for some of us, we need to be in the fight. And so it's to be angry and don't sin. Well, how do I do that? Well, ponder in your beds. That word ponder is the same word for meditation. We learned about that in Psalm chapter 1. To pause, to sit down, reflect, and then here's the key. The key is this. Be silent. Be silent. Oh, my. Oh, my. How many of us, how many of us sin not by just simply being angry, but by what flows out of our mouth when we are angry? It's like the toothpaste. You can't get it back in the tube. And why why are words so important? Well, because our words are a window to our heart. Jesus says, for out of the heart... Comes adultery, all of these things, and slander. Not just out of the mouth, right? And listen, here's what this psalm, here's the sentence. This is not advocating suppressing your feelings. What it is, is it's acknowledging the need to guide your anger. Please listen to me. You were created in the image and likeness of God, that God has emotions, And because we are created in His image and likeness, we have emotions as well. And one of the things I'm learning in my walk with Jesus is somehow a lie has crept into the church that you can be spiritually mature but emotionally immature. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self. Those are emotions So listen, we can be angry. There is such thing as a righteous anger. I mean, when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and it said that he wept because he was distressed, the word is actually angry. Jesus was angry at death. I don't know about you, but I'm angry at death. I'm angry at sickness. I'm angry about another divorce. I'm angry about another life gone to addiction. I'm angry about these things. And I want God to do something about it. And the key is to guide that anger. So where are you on the spectrum? Some of us need to be angry. And some of us need to be angry, but yet pause and reflect and to guide that anger. And then the last group is this, to those who are despairing. David's talk to those who are being slandered, to those who are angry, to accept these truths. And then verse 6, look at what he says. There are many who say, who show us some good, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I love what David is saying. What he's saying is, is God involved in this situation? Hello, God, are you aware of this? Some of you feel like that right now in your life. You're like, this situation and this trouble is consuming every minute of every day. And I am crying out to God and I don't see anything happening. Does God even care? And you're to the point of almost despairing of life itself. Of saying, I just don't even know if I can continue anymore. What's the truth that David gives us? Here's the phrase. Lift up the light of your face. Do you know where that comes from? Oh man, I got so excited this week when I learned this. That comes from the corporate worship gathering found in Numbers chapter 6. It's the benediction to the end of the service. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may His face shine upon you. Again, the corporate gathering gives us confidence in God. And in a season of David's life... Oh, this is good. I'm preaching now. Y'all ain't here, but I'm preaching to myself. Listen to me. In a season of David's life where David didn't have the words... David didn't have the words to say. He leaned on the words from the corporate gathering. And he said, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what's good. But I remember at the end of every worship service there in the temple, the priest stands and he holds his hand and he says, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. That's good enough for me. I love what one Bible scholar says. Apparently... David actually believes the benediction at church. He believes it. For him, it's not a mere ditty at the end of the gathering. It's not much a religious frosting or a snazzy way of saying the service has now ended. Interesting, isn't it? That sometimes what you need for the next step is right there in the worship service. If nothing more, this verse shows us the lively concern we ought to have for those among us who are overwhelmed as well. Do you know what the key almost to the entire gathering is is this? To just simply be aware. To just be aware. Some of us come in and we're so distracted and we have all of this, and then we leave and we go, Well, you know, I didn't really meet with the Lord today, you know. What what if I said this? What if I got up right when they were singing and I interrupted a song and I said, Hey guys, um just really quick, just want to have your attention. Um, we've let a bobcat loose in the back of the room. And we just want you to focus and you'll be fine. But there's a bobcat loose in the back of the room. What are you going to be thinking about for the rest of the service? Where's that joker at? Okay, what's what's going on? Listen, what we declare every time that we come and they lead us in a call to worship is that God is in the room. God is here. That we come here to meet with God today. And so now our affections in my heart and mind is focused on the fact that I'm in the presence of God. And then we look around and we're aware about those who are around us. I'll never forget about hearing a story one Sunday morning of a person who came in feeling so down at life. They, this wasn't home and they were here from out of town and they were here for school and they were feeling so lonely and so despaired, and they just sat in their pew feeling so lonely, crying that they felt so alone. Somebody who was aware about everybody else and not just themselves saw the countenance on their face, introduced themselves, hugged them, and invited them over for lunch. That person said, right before you came up and talked to me, I was asking and praying to God that I would meet somebody today. Guys, listen, that's, it, it really is that simple. And what David is saying is no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what trial, no matter what trouble, ask for help. And then this, accept truth. You need to accept the truth that is found in God's Word and the truth that we declare in here on Sunday mornings. And then the last thing is this. Anchor yourself. Anchor in supernatural joy and peace. How do I trust God with my trouble? How do I trust God with this situation? You ask for help. You accept truth. And then you anchor yourself in the supernatural joy and peace. Look at what David says right there at the end. You have put more joy in my heart than when they who have grain and wine abound. Listen, this is supernatural. How is it supernatural? Look at what he says. You. God gives this. Listen, God gives this type of joy and type of peace. You're not going to go down to 7-Eleven, get a full tank of gas, a Slurpee, and joy and peace. Okay? And listen... Contrary to popular belief, joy and peace is not right on the other side of if I can just blank. It, well, if I could just blank, if, if this situation, well, in, in a few months when the kids get older and then this, if I could, no, 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 God gives you the joy and the peace now, in the now. It's supernatural, but then this, it's eternal. Because guess what? The wine and the grain, they would run out. They run out. And for some of us, we're in a good season. Some of you right now are like, man, you know, this is a mess. I'm not really in. I'm in a season where the wine and the grain abound. Listen, praise be to God, man. That's awesome. Celebrate that. I'm so thankful. That's incredible. But listen, you need to know something. The wine and grain run out. And right now, is your happiness dictated just by that current season and circumstance? Because if so, seasons come and go. It's supernatural. It's eternal. And then this, it's internal. You've put it in my heart. It's in my heart. And then this, verse 8, in closing. It's the very last verse. It's incredible. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Why would David reference sleep so much in the psalm amidst all the trouble? Well, think about this. In ancient times, when you're running for your life and sleeping in a cave, at what portion of the day are you the absolute most helpless and vulnerable? When you're asleep. When you're asleep. Oh yeah, by the way, when trouble and trials and anxiety and fear enter into your world, what's the toughest thing to do? To sleep. But here David has the audacity to say, when I'm the most vulnerable, the most helpless, and when I shouldn't be able to, I lie down and then look, the very last word of the psalm is safety. Oh, the psalm didn't start that way. It didn't start that way, but it's ended that way. As the worship team comes to lead us in a time of response, I learned of a new phrase this week. As I studied verse 8 and was thinking about sleep and sort of this, that, and the other, there's an old phrase that came out during World War I and World War II. And it's actually a Navy phrase. And and maybe, you know, if you've heard an old-timer say this before, but oftentimes people will wake up and they will say, man, I feel like I was on the Admiral's watch last night. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that, but they'll go, oh, man, I slept so great. I slept like I was on the Admiral's watch last night. That phrase comes from World War I and World War II, where when you're out on the ship during wartime, everybody has a job to patrol, everybody. And listen, even in the rotation, the five-star admiral, which is like the highest that you can get, has to still patrol and get on duty. And the sailors slept best when he did Because listen, don't miss this. He's the highest in command. And if anything goes wrong, they don't have to worry about it. Because the admiral's on watch. Listen, can I just declare over your life today that the admiral's on watch, that you can lie down in safety. What does this psalm teach us? Listen, this is the big idea today, and it's very simply this. To trust God in your trouble and trust God with your trouble. That's the key. And do you know how we can do that? How David can say, answer me when I call? Because on a cross over 2,000 years ago, there was a man who cried out in agony. And God didn't answer that man. You see, when Jesus cried out on Calvary, He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it says there I don't know how but somehow supernaturally there was a tremor in the trinity of that relationship and the father turned his back on the son because in that moment the son who knew no sin became sin so then all who would call upon him would be therefore the righteousness of God for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but are justified freely by Jesus Christ you see listen Jesus was forsaken so we could be forgiven. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That Jesus went through the worst trouble so that you could face your trouble and God would be with you. Listen, not even your sins can separate you from the love of the Father. So here's, I want to do something today. I want to be very specific. If you would, in closing, just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet in this place today. I want us to create a very tangible moment in here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. I think some of us have walked in here today with so much trouble and such a situation. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe nobody else knows because you feel so much guilt and shame. What I want everybody to do in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed is I want you to make two fists and just hold your hands out in front of you closed. Everybody, just hold your hands out in front of you closed. I want you to imagine you're holding on to that trouble, that trial, that situation. It's the family conflict. It's the phone call that you haven't made that you know you need to make. It's the doctor's report, what you're holding on to. You have it right now. You know what it is. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to open your hand. I want to give you a physical, tangible way to release your trouble back to God. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today with our hands in front of us closed, representing a situation. God, for some of us, it's a marriage. For some of us, it's a doctor's report. For some of us, it's a relationship. God, there is a trial. There is a trouble that we find ourselves in. And it is far too much of what we can handle. And today, we're not going to try to muster our own strength and do it as much as we can and then rely on you. God, here in just a few seconds, we are releasing it back to you. God, today we surrender that to you. And we declare upon the authority and the power of your word that you gave to us as this corporate psalm says that we can place our trust in you. And you will make us lie down and dwell in safety holy spirit right now in this room move open up hearts and minds may this be a real tangible moment god for somebody in this room i believe that this is a breakthrough that this is a serious moment with every head bowed and every eye closed and our hands clenched tight i'm going to count to three then on three i just want us to open our hands one two three yes heavenly father we surrender it to you today and we give it back whether it's the slander whether it's the anger whether it's the despair whether it's the hopelessness god our hands are open now our hands are open to receive whatever word that you would have given to us holy spirit comfort us And have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.